We now present you our October podcast of the Mountain Care Old Time Radio Hour. Join us on a journey to the golden age of radio on our time machine. Back to the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. We are your hosts, Bob Jackson. And Barb Williams. And this is our baseball edition. Hey, let's start out with some baseball jokes. How long did the baseball player spend in the library? I'm stumped. Five minutes. It was a shortstop. Which baseball player loved fireplaces? Which one? Mickey Mantle. What do you call a winged insect that hits home runs? I have no idea. A fly swatter. <laughs> Bob didn't believe that Fred's dog could talk. So Fred asked his dog, what's on top of a house? Ruth. The dog barked. Bob wasn't convinced. So Fred asked the dog how sandpaper feels. Rough. He still wasn't convinced. Okay, who was the greatest baseball player of all time, Fred asked the dog. Ruth. With that, Bob walked away, shaking his head in disbelief. The dog turned to Fred and asked, Was it Hank Aaron? Now for Casey at the bat. The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two, with but one inning more to play. And then when Cooney died at first, and Barrows did the same, a sickly silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A staggering few got up to go in despair. The rest clung to that hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought if only Casey could get but a whack at that, we'd put him even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake. And the former was a Lulu, and the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude grim melancholy sat. For there seemed but little chance of Casey getting to the bat. But Flynn let drive a single to the wonderment of all. And Blake, that much despised, tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted and the men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second and Flynn a hugging third. Then from 5,000 throats and more, there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley it rattled in the dell. It knocked upon the mountain and recoiled upon the flat. For Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile on Casey's face. And when responding, to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat. No stranger in the crowd could doubt, twas Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. 
then well the ringing pitcher ground the ball into his hip defiance gleamed in Casey's eye a sneer curled Casey's lip and now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air and Casey stood a-watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. Do I need my star? Said Casey. Track one. The umpire said. From the benches, black with people, there went a muffled roar, like the beating of a storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! Shouted someone on the stand. And it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the spheroid flew. But Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, Strike two. Fraud. Cried the maddening thousands, and Echo answered fraud. But once cursed a scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain, and they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lip, his teeth and clenched in hate. He pounds the, with cruel violence, his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. 100 years ago today, Shoeless Joe Jackson supposedly admitted during testimony to a grand jury that he was one of eight Chicago White Sox baseball players who took bribes to let the Cincinnati Reds win the 1919 World Series. It came to be known as the Black Sox scandal, and it was devastating for baseball fans. A crowd of fans were gathered outside the Cook County Courthouse, where Jackson was testifying. Word spread among them that their hero had admitted he'd helped throw the series to the Reds. According to legend, as Jackson left the courthouse, a heartbroken young boy went up to him and begged, Say it ain't so, Joe. It's a legend rather than a fact because there are holes in various aspects of this story. For one thing, there's no court record of Jackson admitting that he was involved in fixing the game, and publicly he always denied it. In fact, in 1921, he was found innocent by a Chicago jury. In addition, quotation experts have determined 
that the legendary quote is a misquote of a quote that was probably fabricated by a reporter in the first place. In the original version of the story he filed, Hugh Fullerton wrote that a young kid approached Jackson as he emerged and said, It ain't so, Joe, is it? Question mark? Fullerton wrote that Jackson replied, Yes, kid, I'm afraid it is. Somehow by 1940, It ain't so, Joe, is it? morphed into, quote, Say it ain't so, Joe, end of quote, in rewritten accounts of the incident. Then it became legend. However, no other eyewitness accounts corroborated either version of the quote, and Jackson himself denied any such thing was said to be to him by a kid or someone else that day. So basically, the quote and the story were apparently made up by the reporter and then distorted further in later press accounts. Somehow, I am not surprised. The best-known Chicago Cubs of all time, Joe Tinker, Johnny Evers, and Frank Chance, became famous for their play on the field which led the Cubs to the 1908 World Series Championship and also due to a famous poem by Franklin Adams. They are known as the best double play combination of all time and from the famed line, Tinker to Evers to Chance. Here's a more modern song about the three.
At the end of the 1951 regular season, the National League pennant race was tied between the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers. They played a best of three series to see which team would advance to play the American League champion, New York Yankees. The two teams split the first two games, which forced a winner-take-all game at the polo grounds. In the bottom of the ninth inning, the Dodgers were leading 4-2 to two in the Giants' last at-bat, with one out and runners on second and third. Bobby Thompson stepped to the plate. Let's turn the call over to Russ Hodges on WMCA. Bobby Thompson up there swinging. He had two out of three, a single and a double, and Billy Cox is playing him right on the third base line. One out, last of the ninth. Branca pitches. Bobby Thompson takes a strike called on the inside corner. Bobby hitting 292. He's had a single and a double, and he drove in the Giants' first run with a long fly to center. Brooklyn leads at 4-2. Hartung down the line at third, not taking any chances. Lockman not too big of a lead at second, but he'll be running like the wind if Thompson hit ones. Bank of throws. There's a long drive. It's going to be, I believe, the Giants win the pennant. 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 Bobby Thompson hits it into the lower deck of the left field stands. The Giants win the pennant. They're going crazy. They're going crazy. Yeehaw! I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Bobby Thompson hits a line drive into the lower deck of the left field stands. This blame place is going crazy. The Giants Hornets Stoneham has got a winner. The Giants won it by the score of 5-4, to four, and they're picking Bobby Thompson up, and they're carrying him off the field. Once again, I'm out in the garden, and uh, this is going to be talking baseball with Sam. Sam, you're a big baseball fan, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Favorite team? Well, it's the lowly Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> the New York Yankees. Now, Sam, growing up um, near Philadelphia, Philadelphia fans are some of the most, um, the toughest crowd I've ever oh, seen. Did you ever take some flack for being a Yankee fan near Philly? You can't live in Pennsylvania near Philadelphia and vote for another team and not get flat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big Yankee fan, favorite Yankee player, Sam? Derek Jeter. Right. Uh, favorite Yankee? Now that's in later years. That is. How about, um, you know, so Jeter is 90s, 2000s. Yeah. But before that, there was Don Mattingly. 1980s? Uh, okay. Absolutely. Um, how about even before that? Um, you ever hear of Babe Ruth? <laughs> now, you weren't around when Babe Ruth no. was playing. No. Um, well, we're going to talk 1956, and, and uh, the Yankees had a, a colorful catcher back in 1956. Yes. Very charismatic. By the name of? Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra, the one and only. And now they have, there's a museum in New Jersey that Berra created. Nice. Well, I, I mentioned 1956. 1956 World Series was the Brooklyn Dodgers versus the New York Yankees. Yeah. Game five brought one of the most memorable moments to baseball. Right. A fellow named Don Larson. Yes. He pitched a no, well, actually, a perfect game. The only World Series perfect game. Yeah. Um, 
so so that was game five. It, it gave the Yankees the lead in the series three to two. Right. Um, Brooklyn came back to win game six and to make, tie it at three to three, setting up game seven of the World Series. Now, here's a story I'd like you to share for us, Sam. You woke up um, very early, I understand, I at the morning of game up. seven. I didn't wake up. I was late. You were already right. Tell us about that morning of game seven. Well... Game seven was to be at Yank uh, Ebbets Field, which then was the mecca of the National League and the home of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Exactly. That was a test for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I, uh, I got out of bed. I was I was sleepless. Uh, Got out of bed, the kids were sleeping, and my wife was bidding me like, you're nuts. Because <laughs> you were heading to New York. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I walked down to Buckingham, which was two miles from our home in Bucks County, which is a beautiful county, by the way. Uh, I walked down to Buckingham on Route 202, uh, went to New York. And I kept hoping a trucker would show sympathy. So you were standing there with your thumb in the oh, air. Oh, absolutely. But it was dark. So <laughs> anyway, a trucker for about after five trucks or so passed, stopped in the Oh, the guy opened the, car, the cab door, said, where are you going? I told him, oh, jump in. <laughs> <laughs> so I jumped in, and uh, I said, how far are you going? He says, I've been going to the city, the city, of course, being New York. So off again. <laughs> I'm sitting here very erectly <laughs> in the cab. And uh, the the driver was not very talkative, but I didn't care. He got you to New York City for game he seven. He was my, my sword. <laughs> <laughs> so we go into Holland Tunnel, which is, you know, under the uh, Hudson River. And uh, pull over, he, he dumps me out. <laughs> not literally, but... And he wished me luck. He said, who are you voting for? I told him the Yankee. And he said, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> um, so you get to Abbott's Field. Did you have tickets for the game? No, 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 no. It was prearranged. If I got to Abbott's, uh, they would have a ticket for me, my friends, where I worked. Were they Yankee fans also? They were split. Uh, Yankee fans always cause other things. <laughs> it's just a wonderful thing. So anyway, they I was there, and they gave me my ticket, and then we go. And we watched batting talk practice, and, which is always a pleasure. I don't know, Bob, if you've ever watched Major League Absolutely. 
one of my favorite things to Ain't go. Isn't that nice? There's something special about the the ballpark, the the, the sounds, the yum. smell. It, it is. I, I love the experience. Yes. So anyway, that's what we did. And then the ball game began. Crucial game. Crucial. I'm, Winner take all. I have the box score here in front of me. Okay. Yankees did not waste any time in Game 7. They scored two runs in the top of the first. Yeah. Two more in the top of the third. One more in the top of the fourth. Four runs in the seventh inning to win nine to nothing. Thank you, that. Well, first of all, it's, it's wonderful that you come to that bus store. Uh, that's history. And uh, Yogi Berra, our friend Yogi Berra, was the hero of the game. Two home runs, I believe. Two home runs, and uh, you know his stature, he's a little guy, anyway. But he was lovable, and everybody loved Yogi. So, uh, what was your memory of uh, the Yankees winning the title, 1956? The memory? Well, the Yankees just stormed the field, and <laughs> and uh, Yogi was the first to lead the cheers of the teams. And uh, Joe Torre, of course, being the manager. So, um, Sam, you made it back to Bucks County that night? My friends brought me. I didn't have to hitch coming back. <laughs> you got to drive back down. <laughs> My friends, uh, yeah. Um, it was a memorable day. My, my boys were thrilled when Dad came home, <laughs> you know, with a souvenir. And that was our blast from the past. Thank you for joining us on a journey down memory lane. And as always, may your troubles be less, your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door. Join us next month on the Mountain Care Old Time Radio Hour.